Hey everyone, welcome back to Spill the EMVT. If you're new here, I'm Veronica, the founder and director of clothing brand EMVT and your host today. Uh, It's been a while, but we're back and we've got so many exciting things coming up. Um, I've been working so hard behind the scenes and honestly, I can't keep surprises to save my life. So I'm just, I'm looking forward to kind of showing you guys everything that's about to kind of come out. Um, so today we've got a really fantastic guest, uh, my friend Georgie. I've known Georgie for four years now. We've met at university and I'd say in the past two years we've become particularly close. Uh, the most captivating thing about Georgie, which I'm sure she's going to laugh at, is her uplifting personality. So no matter what, she's she's always been the, like the person to kind of plow through in the hardest of times and it's honestly so inspiring to me and always keeps me going keeps me motivated um I've learned so much from her over the course of our friendship and there's a really good reason as you can imagine as why she's one of my emergency contacts so there we go so Georgie do you want to maybe introduce yourself a bit and kind of talk about yourself so hi everyone my name is Georgie and I'm currently a bar course student with the Inns of Court College of Advocacy so what that means is I'm trained to be a barrister, probably in crime. On top of that, I actually work part-time with witness service. So I work in court helping vulnerable witnesses, that sort of thing. And then I run a Greek animal rescue charity. So yes, I met Veronica at university and it's been great knowing her. <laughs> You're like, it's been great knowing her. See ya. <laughs> Plot <laughs> twist. Bye. No, but honestly, yeah, plot twist. I'm about to leave. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I've, I've had enough. It's been a minute, and I've already had enough of you, Veronica. No, but uh, <laughs> honestly, the, the I think the thing that really gets me about Georgie is that she will tackle maybe ten things at a time, and you'll just call her up, and she'll still make time for you, and she'll still, you know, she'll still always say like, you know, I've got, I've got the time. Don't worry, I'm, I'm here for you. What do you need? And you'll be like, okay, well, you're busy. She's like, no, I've got all this paperwork, but no, I'm fine. I can talk to you. And she'll just, you'll always fit me in. And it's really sweet because I feel like in friendships, they always say no one is, well, they always say no one is too busy. But I think in your case, people can really be busy. (laughs) But even then, you know, it's a two-way street. And I think that um, I went through phases where I was really, really shocking communication and you still made every effort with me and um, you still cared so much for me, even though you were going through so much as well. So that's always really stuck with me. And I've just always... I've always thought to myself, you know, who who are the few people I could actually really count on? And you were one of the first few people that came to mind. So, yeah, I just, you know, here I am praising you. And you're just like, well, Monica, what can I say? Um, so, Well, that means a lot to me. But what I would say is you've also always been there for me. And regardless of any situation, in friendships, people can often be more quiet at some points or they can be more chatty yeah I certainly like to be chatty but then I talk for a living that's true so that's sort of how I deal with a lot that's of things true. but that said there is always time to make if there is a friend in need I fundamentally believe that if that means working a bit later that means working a bit later yeah that's what's always really kind of stuck with me is that you will just you're you're always so good at that and I think that it always motivates me to do better I don't know why I know it sounds kind of cliche but you are genuinely one of the few people who actually do want me to be better or me make me want to be better not want me to be better <laughs> you imagine you're like oh well, I actually wasn't gonna say anything to you but <laughs> but you want it makes me want to be better. You know, I told you before we spoke on the phone, well, actually, whilst we were speaking on the phone, before we started the podcast, that um, Georgie's always said to me, if something takes less than five minutes, just do it now. And I, 
she's she's like she's laughing now but the thing is, is it's it's still stuck with me so everything I do now I'm like right well is it going to take me less than five minutes okay I'll do it now because it's so easy to procrastinate but you're the person who doesn't procrastinate and it's just it's it's just I mean I definitely do it just depends on the situation so at the moment I'm currently uh, reading something when? called the white book right well <laughs> the white book is civil litigation and you know I should probably sing its praises because I'm on a course doing it at the moment but it is certainly a course that we just have to do. Yeah. It's not one that we optionally right. do. And it is probably one of the driest things I've ever read. And TikTok, it calls to me when I'm reading that or playing with my dog, going on a walk. I'd even go on a run to avoid reading the white book, which is quite shocking for me. Yeah. No, honestly, I can't imagine I can't imagine you not doing something because you don't want to because you're just like, oh, I've got to do this. It's going to take me like five hours, but I'm going to do it now and just get it over with. I'm like, says who? What? When? What? How? I just, I don't. <laughs> You have the motivation of 10 million people combined. <laughs> so, uh, Or just a deadline. Or just a deadline, you know, that kind of just kicks you up the bum and just says, go. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you're quite an open book, which is fantastic. It's I don't think a lot of people I know are open books, and it's obviously, you know, to each their own. But uh, I've always felt super open with you as my friend, and I think that's because you're so open about things, and it's kind of encouraged me to open up about a lot. Because the way I've dealt with things is when I get stressed or when I get kind of um, upset about things, I close myself off. You know I do that. A lot of people who close to me know I do that. Um, but you are, as you said, you talk for a living, so you're very kind of, you know that's the right thing to do. And like many of us listening, I assume you, you know, you've dealt with knocks on your self-confidence, both on a professional level and a personal level. So I'd like to talk about both today um, because I feel like you're such a good role model, not just to me, but I think to a lot of people. And a lot of people could probably use the advice and the kind of wisdom that you have to share. Uh, it might actually help someone listening as well, if not just educate more like-minded people, you know, people around our age or people even, you know, older than us in their 40s or, you know, maybe someone who's 18, just leaving school, something like that. So I'd like to talk to you first about your career and specifically about the challenges that you see in the workplace, because we've talked about this a lot before, but I feel like it's really important that we kind of make this public and talk about how these things in the workplace have affected your confidence and your mental health if they have so take it away yeah definitely so obviously one of the first stereotypes of the bar is that it is predominantly male and if you look at the demographics of the bar it is predominantly white middle-aged men especially at the more senior positions so the judicial system if you look at that you're normally coming up in front of a male judge because of that it does obviously make it a little bit harder to progress as a woman so there are some fantastic associations like Women in Criminal Bar, Women in the Bar, I'm part of both of them, which are absolutely brilliant and very supportive places. But that said, you do still face sexism at work every day. Personally, I've been told before that I have to straighten my hair in order to look professional. I should dye my hair because being a redhead means that I look unprofessional. I personally don't really wear makeup, but I've been told I should wear it to make myself look older. Make yourself look older. Heels. Yeah, to make myself look no. older. <laughs> because apparently I look very young. I've been told before, oh, you're you're helping me today? I'm like, yes, yes, no. I am. No, can you imagine? That would just that would just ruin your kind of experience in your day, to be honest. You would go into it so <laughs> so much more demotivated than you normally would if someone says that to you. It certainly doesn't help. But on top of that, I mean I've I've seen slightly more serious right. things. 
So when I was interviewing, I had been asked before, how will you deal with family pressure at the bar? Now, there's obviously quite an undercurrent to that question, and that question wasn't asked to the men who interviewed that day. The bar doesn't have maternity leave because we are self-employed, but the bar also doesn't really provide for that. So a good example is a lot of chambers will say that they're very forward-thinking because they only charge you half the room rent during your maternity leave rather than your full room rent. And that's the level of support that you're looking at. So a lot of the time, if you are a slightly more traditional chambers or this isn't spoken about as much, women actually have to leave the self-employed bar and go to the employed bar, which is why the judicial system is still predominantly male. Oh, gosh. And that's it? That's it for support? Yeah, roughly for support. Um, Have you tried to – have people – well, I assume people have tried to raise these issues and how is that kind of dealt with? So it's definitely improving. The situation that I'm coming into now is certainly not how it was 20, 30 years ago. Um, That long ago, I've spoken to QCs who are women who, quite frankly, faced absolutely appalling behaviour, shocking behaviour even. Um, But you say that, the barrister was recently arrested for sexual assault and harassment in the workplace. So it does still happen. Luckily, I've not experienced that in the workplace. I've just experienced people underestimating me. But it is improving because there are more groups and societies of driven younger women and men who both want to make a significant difference. So I'm part of the Inner Temple Students Association. And in that role, we've done a lot of women at the bar events. So some of our masters at the bench are people like Master Levitt QC, an incredible woman who is very open about her past and how she's progressed at the bar. She has been a role model for so many women. And obviously the latest appointment to the Supreme Court, Lady Justice Rose, is another very good example. Do you think on the other kind of on the other side of the scale, women who did dye their hair or were wearing a lot of makeup, do you think that they are also ridiculed or not really? They are. So it's very much a no-win situation. Um, some of my friends who have dyed their hair to look more professional have then been told, "Oh, but you spend too much time getting ready in the morning. How could you possibly be managing my case?" They actually say that to you. How would they know so, that? People are quite judgmental at bar especially if you're a woman and when I say that I don't necessarily mean the people that you'll work with but it can also be your clients oh so in my work with witness service I regularly assist men and women alike both prosecution and defense witnesses in sort of helping themselves get through the trial process however I have found that slightly older men are often less likely to talk to me because they don't feel that I would be able to assist them oh and that obviously translates to practice yeah and that does have a significant impact on your mental health because you feel less you able. You have to go into the situation not even feeling less able. You feel underestimated. Yeah. And it makes you either want to prove yourself more right. or it makes you question why you're putting yourself in that position in the first yeah. place. Yeah. And I've certainly questioned why have I done this? I could have done an easier career. Right. So, what kind of keeps you going? What kind of motivates you to keep going? I think that well, constant think incessant kind of those comments. When they build up and they're con- they're more common than you know, they're more common than you'd want them to be. I think a comment here or there, annoying, frustrating, but if they happen more frequently, that can really take a toll. So how do you kind of deal with that? So I think part of it is I have a great support network. Uh, that support network is actually at the bar. I've been very open with wanting to make friends at the bar, with meeting new people. 
And I'm also happy to talk to anyone. So that means that I've spoken to people who are students like me, up to QCs and judges. I've had a judge look over my CV. I sat with him in a Rotherham trial, which was absolutely fascinating, whilst also obviously being very, very sad. So having people who support you within your career is obviously very, very important. And anyone who knows me knows I also don't like being told I can't do something. (laughs) (laughs) So the more people tell me, oh, you can't do this, like, how are you going to have a family when you do this? You're not the right fit. You're not the right person. It actually just makes me want to prove them no wrong. No one ever asks the men this. I just don't understand. <laughs> so at the bar, there is obviously a little bit of prejudice against uh, certain backgrounds as well. Right. And some of my male friends have had to come up with, they didn't go to a private school. They might be from a BAME background. It is quite a judgmental place. And to say it is predominantly white men would not be an understatement. Um, if anyone looks at the most recent judicial figures, it's, it's quite shocking. Do you think that some of them do it because they're just older and they haven't really changed their mindset because of the ge- a generational kind of generational kind of thing, or do you think some people also just because some people just you know they have those views of I women think, and people who are from lesser backgrounds? I think there's definitely some truth in the fact that it is generational in some ways. Right. But that said, when I've been asked about having children at the bar, it's been asked by younger men. Oh. And I think that that is partly because younger men at the bar can often be part of an old boys club. Ah. And that is something that's quite hard to penetrate if you are, in fact, a woman. That kind of wolf pack mentality. Exactly. A lot of them have gone to school with each other. A lot of them have gone to university with each other. And it's continued in that way. Now, that's not to say that's obviously every man at the bar. I can't count the number of fantastic male barristers that I know. A lot of them are incredibly supportive. A lot of them really want you to do well. But there is a culture where, ultimately, if you look at the statistics, the drop-off rate at the bar of women is much, much higher than men. Oh. Okay. And is that continuous? That that, that statistic doesn't really change? Hasn't really changed? That statistic's improved. It's improved. Okay. But it's not improved that much. Okay. So... Obviously, Baroness Hale has just retired, right. and she's been replaced by another woman. Oh, okay. But that's still one of the first few women who have gone to the Supreme Court as yeah. a judge. Yeah. So it's still not a huge difference. Yeah. And what about kind of, because you obviously deal, you are, you know, you're, you're working in the criminal field, so you deal with a lot of quite traumatizing and quite kind of hard-hitting cases. So how do you find kind of dealing with that and not bringing it home? Because they always say, you know, don't bring your work home don't bring the job home but I think it's kind of it's hard not to and so how do you deal with kind of not bringing that home and not kind of internalizing it and you know dealing with that emotion because I'm sure you do and you kind of have to develop a thick skin but I think everyone's got limits. So I think that there's definitely a bit of a myth that you have to not bring it home. It's important as a barrister to be aware of what your client might be going through and to have that more personal element is actually not a bad thing. So taking it home, obviously within the bounds of confidentiality, is not necessarily going to be a hindrance. In fact, like if you're taking something home, it allows you time to process it, think about it, and then move on from it. Whereas if you just compartmentalize, then it is inevitably going to come Really back. good point. Yeah, really good point. I think a lot of people don't deal with emotions like that because because of for that reason they just they don't they don't want to deal with it and they think, okay, it's fine, you know, just don't bring it home, just leave it. And then it kind of festers. 
If I've learned anything in the it past does. few years, it's do not let something fester. Just deal with it. Just deal with the emotions. Because I think a lot of people are like, no, 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 I'm not sad. So, you know, it's fine. Like, I'm not sad. I'm not upset. I'm not this. I'm not that. But then they kind of neglect how they feel because they just don't want to feel a certain way. So they just kind of push it aside and they think, no, that's fine. It's not a problem. Um, and then it just kind of lingers and it gets worse and it gets worse. And I know that firsthand as well. But I think it's it's also a different ballgame in the workplace because um, those aren't necessarily personal emotions, but they can become personal emotions and they can worsen and affect things on a personal level. That's definitely true. And especially because with a lot of the witnesses, you can see yourself in them. That might be that they're the same age, they're from the same background as you. Maybe they have the same life experiences as you. Yeah. So you can certainly relate to a lot of the witnesses in ways that you probably didn't think that you would be right. able to. But that said, coming home, being able to have a glass of wine, mm-hmm. have a chat, yeah. obviously not discussing the very into like, you know, the details of, course, of the case yeah. is actually a very good way of helping to manage it. And that's why I reiterate that having people in the bar itself who are able to understand exactly what it is that you're feeling has been incredibly beneficial right. to me. Because it's an open platform. And the bar is actually a very supportive place once you're in. Yeah. But it's the getting in that can obviously be the problem. Oh, right. So it's just the getting in. So once you're in, everybody kind of do attitudes sort to kind of change. Not always, um, which is obviously why there is still quite the drop-off rate. But I have found barristers to be an incredibly supportive community on the whole. Obviously, there are never going to be completely supportive communities. But they are genuinely wanting you to succeed. And what that does mean is criminal barristers especially, they stick together, they help each other through the emotional times. And I think the same goes for the family bar because obviously you see a lot of very similar things there right. as well. I think a point you made that I really, really love is that I think the overarching kind of point that you made is, although you can't talk about cases specifically, you reiterate the fact that you just want to talk about it or just a general kind of overview of what's been going on with you. What, you know, oh, I've had a really hard day. That might just be enough. That's all you need to say. Some people won't even say that. They'll just be like, I'm fine. You know, I'm, that's it. That's, that's, there's, no, there's not much more to it. You know, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. And to actually say I'm not okay or I've had a really long day, that's, that can also be just be enough. You know, it's better than nothing. And I think that a lot of people, a lot, a lot, a lot of people I found in, since I've actually started the podcast specifically, a lot of people put their emotions away, whether it's from the workplace, whether it's on a personal level, whether, where, no matter where it's coming from, um, family issues, whatever it might be, a lot of people will just say I'm fine instead of just accepting that they're not fine. Because I think for a number of different reasons, obviously, some people just don't want to share that information, but also because they are afraid of the reaction that they'll get from their friends, their loved ones their partners, whatever they might be. And I think that that's because we've been taught not to, no matter what, I really don't believe we've progressed as a society in terms of mental health that much. Because no matter what... I would agree. No matter what, um, we we just we just don't deal with emotions. And it's... I don't think that... I, I don't agree when I hear people say, you know, we've progressed. No, I mean, I would agree with you. And I do think that actually Veronica Held Me Wet is a very good example of that. I kept on saying that I was fine. I was fine. And you didn't really know me at the time, but you knew that I clearly wasn't. So we actually went outside. You forced me to talk to you. And we became pretty good friends from that. I remember that moment like it was yesterday because 
I exactly. actually just went up to you and I said, look, this is, this is the issue. This is what's going on and we need to talk about it. And your boyfriend was there and he, well, we can talk about Jack because I've actually featured him on, I've actually featured him on my page. So we can talk about Jack. I usually don't name names, but I'll yeah. like, we can talk about Jack. Um, yeah, we can talk about Jack. Ever. So he, he was with you and I went up to you and he, he just suddenly, you know, red flags in his head. He was like, what's up? What's going on? Something's going yeah. on. And I said to him, I said, don't worry. I, she's fine. It's not, she's not upset because of me. I promise. And I took you outside and we just, it, it, the fact that it all went from there, our friendship stemmed from that moment. It's crazy to me because it did. it's basically foreshadowing or foreshadowed the rest of our friendship and what our friendship is like, because you are probably one of three people in the whole world that I'm open with. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing. And maybe that's not a good thing because maybe I should be open with more people, but that's also because I've been fed the idea that we shouldn't talk about things. And that's why I've started this because I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of the stigma. I, I really am. I am not even just saying that. I wouldn't say that for the podcast if I didn't mean it. And they wouldn't say that to the I world know. if I didn't mean it. I'm so sick of it I do think that everybody should have maybe certain things that they should keep to themselves if it's something you know about someone else you know but if it's about yourself yes, and you want absolutely. to share it share it It doesn't matter how personal it is share it with whoever you want no, there is no rule more. if it's about someone else obviously that's a bit of a different ball game because you need to kind of think okay well this is someone else not me but if you want of to course. talk about yourself and share things about yourself there there should be no stopping you from doing that there should be no kind of stigma surrounding that and it's really really sad that that is what we deal with on a daily basis and I know you don't deal with it as much because you are an open book as you say but even other people that I know even that people that I met at uni they still deal with that so I'll ask them you know how are you and these are people that I consider quite close to me oh I'm fine I'm like are you are you are you really and then I find they'll kind of They'll maybe, well, some the person's going to know that I'm talking about them. They'll, for example, post a story about, you know, a meme kind of joking about depression. And, you know, when people joke about stuff, it's because they actually mean it. It's just more of a cry for help. And they think, yeah, if I mock it, or if not, if I mock it, if I kind of make light of the situation, it's my way of dealing with it instead of just talking about it. Because then when you want to talk about it, they don't want to do it. And so my goal is just talk about it let's talk about it. let's talk about relationships talk about all these different things because it's really really important it's not bad it's not embarrassing to say ah oh, i'm dealing with i'm dealing with this and i don't know how to go about it i think that's very fair i mean a good example is i was bottling a lot of stuff in when we met i wasn't really talking about a lot of things and it was really impacting my mental health i was not in a good position when we met but I have absolutely loved my time at university following opening yeah. up. And that's obviously been very beneficial in my career now. I've done two degrees in the last few years and that's, you know, taken its toll. I did a GDL, which is a law degree in a year. But I was able to talk to people and I was able to explain when I was struggling or why I was yeah. struggling. And as a result, that definitely helped me because I was able to understand myself what I was maybe going through, which I couldn't potentially process on my own. What do you think help you op helped you opened up at uni? What do you think helped you? Well, honestly, it was people like you reaching out. Like, you played a big role in that because I didn't realise that I could say things like that until I started known people quite a long time. And yet people like you, other friends of mine, um, Imogen is a very good right. example. She was exactly the same. And I was able to really 
progress and know that there's nothing shameful in talking yeah. about something. Yeah, I think that um, it's it's really great when someone just calls you out. I think, obviously not in a horrible way, but if someone calls you out and says, hey, look, let's talk about this, it is so important. I think in relationships, in friendships, no matter what it is, if someone calls you out and says, hey, let's talk about this, or they say, hey, you know, you made me feel a certain way and I want to talk about it with you, let's work it through. If you have an issue with someone, talk it out. You know, do not let things fester. Do not try and play games. I'm so sick of games. Um, just, Just call it out, whatever it might be. You can't. You cannot let it fester. Imagine if we if we'd done that. Imagine how much it would have blown up. Yeah. And imagine oh, where yeah, we'd been. Be. We probably awful. wouldn't even be friends. We probably wouldn't. For anyone that's listening, this wasn't between Georgie and I. Just so you know, this wasn't like a fight. We didn't have. We an didn't issue have with an issue with each other. other. It was just. It was external, an ongoing situation. Yeah, yeah. External factors. But um, I think what I'm kind of wanting to get onto when I talk about this is your experience with personal relationships and how that's affected you and your mental health. Now, I know this is a quite touchy topic or not really touchy, but more for lack of a better word, um, just quite sensitive to a lot of people. So we are going to talk about poor relationships. And if that is an issue for anyone obviously listening I will put more of a warning at the beginning when I publish this but um, if it is an issue for anyone obviously just kind of keep in mind that's what we're going to be talking about for the next for the next portion of the uh, the podcast so I appreciate you being so open with this um, and I would just yeah I want to talk about your experience with the poor relationships and how then and now so your relationship with Jack now has affected your confidence and mental health just because I want to show people it does get better and you can do better and you can get better. So that's what I wanted to kind of start kind of discussing with you. Absolutely. So I'm I'm very happy to talk about this. I have notoriously not necessarily been in the best positions relationship-wise in the past and that can be through a number of different reasons, but it has taken a toll on my mental health. A good example of that is um, for a while, I had an issue with food. I didn't particularly like how I looked. I struggled with how I looked. And to this day, I'm still not hugely comfortable with how I look. But I have realized that it's probably the least important part about me. And what I do and who I am as a person is much more valuable than what I necessarily see in the mirror. Having some negative relationship experiences definitely made me feel like I was the problem. However, At the same time, if you become used to a behavior, then you are more likely to accept it. And it's knowing where you can place that boundary and knowing where you can feel comfortable. So to this day, I'm in a very nice relationship. I'm with a lovely guy called Jack. We've been together two and a half years, going on three years. We now live together. It's it's very nice. We moved in for lockdown. Even now, I still sometimes question why he's with me. I know I can be high maintenance. I know I can be quite stressful. And I have a very busy timetable. And I wonder why that's something he's willing to allow for. It also means that I think, oh, you know, does he actually like me? Yeah. Is a question that I sometimes ask myself. Which, you know, rationally, of course he does. He wouldn't still be here if he didn't. We have a dog together now. Mm -hmm. But it is still there in the back of my mind. And it's something that I have been able to grow from a lot. Like when Veronica, when you met me, I was in a very different position. So I had just started dating Jack. I was 
probably a bit nervous about that situation. Obviously, it was long distance. I had just got out of another relationship that hadn't necessarily ended in the best way. And it had left me with some confidence problems because I thought, oh, am I not enough? Or am I a difficult person? And things like that. It also made me question, should I be less career driven? Maybe I should be less ambitious. That would potentially be a good option for me. Which obviously all takes a bit of a toll on one's mental health. Um, I certainly didn't feel great at that point in time. But it's definitely improved from then. I mean, now if I feel like I'm struggling, I can literally just go to Jack and say, hey, I'm having a bad day. And we can talk about it. you didn't feel that way before. I didn't, no. And it took me a while to get to that position with Jack, to be honest with you. Um, It probably took about two years. Yeah. And how... Because Jack and I were friends first. You were, yeah. That's so what's so great longer. about your relationship is that you were friends first. You were just so comfortable with each other from the from the get-go. Yeah, when I first met Jack, he threw me into a lock when I was hungover. <laughs> so, you know, we, we loved that. So do you. <laughs> I just love your relationship. It's just the best. And I feel really comfortable around him as well. I don't know what it is with me. I, um, I'm not that comfortable around guys. I know it sounds really strange. I, I had to say it. I'm really not. I'm really not that comfortable. So I'm the exact opposite. Well, it depends. You know me. The guys I've known from school, super comfortable with. The guys I've known from uni, super comfortable with. The guys that I kind of know through people, I can't get comfortable around except Jack. (laughs) Like, except Jack. That'll make him happy. Like, honestly, like two of my, three of my, actually three of my best friends are guys and I love them to pieces. And I've carried those relationships from both school and uni. But... Those are people that I've spent a lot of a lot of time with. <laughs> when it comes to actually being super comfortable with a guy and kind of not feeling a bit stiff, it is so hard for me to open up. And that's why even like my friends' boyfriends, I don't think I'm comfortable about any of them except Jack, genuinely. Well, I'm really glad because I, Jack's very much like me. He's an open book. He's pretty easygoing about most things and very little is going to offend him, to be honest with you. And... I think that's been very helpful. I mean, a good example is I freely admit I get very angry and very stressy when I'm tired or when I'm hungry. And a good example of that is at the moment, I'm probably working 100, 110 hour weeks, which does mean that I am more likely to snap if something doesn't get done. But Jack knows there is a reason behind that. And I know there's a reason behind that. So I've been very open about communicating that with him. I'm like, I'm really sorry if I'm snappy. I don't mean to be, but I am just quite swamped with yeah. things. And with him, he's gone, yeah, no, absolutely can understand that. And he's the same. If he's stressed, he gets grumpy. That's, what it, that's, that's why communication is so good. That's why you need to talk about these things, because he knows it's not coming from a personal kind of, you know, um, exactly dive at him or jab at him. And it also depends on who he is as a person, because, you know, some people wouldn't necessarily be that patient. And they'd Just because they're just... They just don't want to be, and that's not fair on you. Everybody has moments. Everybody's got breaking points, and everybody has low days. And so you need to be patient with that. You need to be understanding of that. And so when you kind of when you're with someone who isn't understanding of that and doesn't appreciate that, then it is so much harder to communicate with them, and it's so much harder to communicate how you're feeling because then to them it's like, here we go again. Here she's upset again. And it's just like everybody has off days. Everybody has breaking points. Everybody has times where they're going to be stressed, especially since you work so much. So to then turn around and say, oh, Georgie's upset again. It's, it's just, it's just, it's not ignorant. It's but it's, yeah, it's dismissive. It's dismissive. 
And I think that's actually something that's very important. And communication is key. If that means that the relationship doesn't work, that means the relationship doesn't work, but at least it's been healthy communication. And I think that's the very important thing that I've taken away from things, which is I don't need to make something work. If it's not working, it's not working. That's fine. I don't need to change myself to make it. Oh, I wish I took your advice four years ago. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So that's something that I've definitely, I've learned to hold my own about. So a good example is when Jack and I were discussing getting a dog, I feel quite strongly that I didn't want to buy a puppy because there's a bit of a puppy breeding issue going on at the moment. And Jack had never had a puppy before. And I completely understood that. I respected that. So we had a look at some rescues where we could get a puppy, all the rest of it, but it would still be a rescue dog. Having then been able to actually speak to him and have a discussion about both of our ideas and why we wanted something, we actually ended up with an adult dog, which wasn't a puppy in the slightest. And that was because I was able to explain why I thought of something, listen to what he thought. And ultimately, he realized that the only reason he was holding on to the idea of a puppy in that way was because that's what he thought everyone got. Right. Right. He hadn't really been around adult rescue. Whereas I was able to explain, obviously, we have cats. We can test the dog with a cat better if it's an adult. Right. So those are just sort of the little communication issues that we've had, which were very easily resolved by just having a conversation about That is the thing. It. I just don't... Un- I've never understood this. I don't understand why... I, I have friends who have come to me and asked me for relationship advice. And I say, well, have you spoken to him about it? And they go, no. Have you spoken to her about it? Mm, no, actually. You have to. Yeah, you you can't not. You're just going to let it fest. No, I'm just going to like ignore her and then see if she comes around. N- no. What kind of relationship is that? How are you going to get stuff done? How are you going to resolve issues? It becomes exactly. very childish. So a good example is I have quite bad anxiety. Um, anyone who knows me knows that it's not a great situation for me. It is something that I struggle with. And it's particularly worse if I'm in an argument with someone. Now, I used to just mean that would, I would just back down. I would just thought, okay, fine, you're right. That wasn't a healthy thing to do, and it didn't necessarily lead me into the best situations. But now I do hold my ground, but I make sure it's resolved. I will never go to bed angry. I won't suddenly stop talking to someone. If I'm having an argument with someone, I'm not going to blank them. I'm going to talk it out. Because I can't stand the idea of something just festering. Because that makes me feel more anxious as a person, and then I spiral which just escalates the situation in general. How have you found dealing with anxiety in your career? So I don't seem to have professional anxiety in that same way. I definitely feel imposter syndrome all the time. When I first got an email that I got a scholarship from my inner court, I genuinely thought it was addressed to the wrong person. (laughs) I was like, there's no way. It's absolutely not accurate. And I I face that to this day. I'm, I'm currently in the process of pupillage interviews. And I've got interviews coming up at sets that I genuinely nearly didn't even apply to because I thought, what's the point? Yeah. So my anxiety is different in that way at the bar because I'm not anxious about my ability to handle the situation. Right. And that is because a professional relationship is different to a personal yeah. one. And I'm more easily able to set my boundaries professionally. Yes, that's so important. Yeah. And it is about knowing what your boundary is. And do you do that in a relationship as well? I didn't used to. Um, I do now though and that boundary does include things like for example I really it's it's gonna sound very random I can't stand the noise of people popping their joints Ah, I really can't stand it and that's because I've not necessarily been the healthiest in life I have arthritis in a couple of my joints 
I'm literally sitting here because I've given myself carpal tunnel from typing. <laughs> like I have a cast on my wrist because you know why not but it does mean that I have a really big bugbear about that and so whilst it's a very small thing I made it very clear from the offset of my relationship I can't handle that another thing I can't handle is I really can't stand when people do close off in relationships if you are feeling a certain way tell me about it yeah and obviously it's within your own boundaries and I completely understand and appreciate that but if someone is in the position in a relationship not a friendship that they don't speak when they're upset that's not going to work with someone who's like me that's just not going to be conducive to a healthy environment yeah and Jack is pretty open person it probably does help a lot that both of you are quite open because I was quite open well to an extent and um, an in my relationship, um, they were quite closed off and that made it quite difficult. So it's really helpful for two people if they're both open because it makes things so much smoother. It just, you know, all your problems could be solved if you just don't all of them. But obviously a lot of your problems could be solved if you just communicated. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that you have to fit. You have to, it's kind of trial and error that you do in your relationship. When you get into a relationship, you kind of figure out stuff about each other and figure out, you know, what you don't like, what you do like, and you do set those boundaries because I feel like a lot of people don't do that. One last thing I wanted to... And I think that's actually... No, no, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's actually very important because obviously I was in a slightly different position where I was friends with Jack yeah. first. So I knew him quite well. But at the same time, if you are in a relationship first and you get to know each other, it's knowing if it's not going to work. That's absolutely fine. You don't need to alter or feel like you're in the wrong. Sometimes people just aren't compatible. That doesn't mean it wouldn't be a compatible friendship. That's true. It just doesn't mean it might not be the best relationship. That's true. I've And knowing where to cut it off yeah. is important. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that... Um... So that's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes. I mean, I've been on dates with people and I've, you know, I've seen people like been seeing guys and we ended up being better friends and it worked out so nicely. Yeah. And I talked to them and we FaceTime and we talk on the phone, uh, not very often, but occasionally. And it's just so nice. You feel so comfortable with them and, you know, you realize that you're better off as friends and it, there's no bad blood and it just feels so comfortable because you'd already, but I would always say the other way around should be better so you should start out as friends before you kind of get into a relationship I, I have some friends that I initially dated first and now are great yeah. friends I don't think it's a problem in the slightest no. but it's just knowing that you don't have to have the pressure to make it work yes yes like you shouldn't be making anything work I think that was the boundary that I have learned me too me too if it's not coming naturally then it's not there for yeah, a if it feels forced it just it, it's not right and if it feels like you have to change something or you have to do something or try and change something then you know you can't really change you can't change a person and you shouldn't have to yeah. change yourself unless and you shouldn't want to you need to work on but you should yeah you shouldn't want to as well there were so many things that I wanted to change and there were so many things that I for good reason obviously um yeah. and I realized I couldn't and I you know it was it was for the best you know that was it that was that so I mean I think a good example is when I met Jack, there was one thing that he did that was not a red flag in the sense of him as a person, but it was just something that I wasn't comfortable with, which was that he smoked. Oh, I didn't know this. Now, yeah, he did. And I made the point of that's absolutely fine and it's completely up to you. But personally, I wouldn't date a smoker and I wouldn't date a smoker because I'm asthmatic, I have lung problems and it's actually why I've already had my coffee. It just smells so bad. 
yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of it in general, but yeah. you know, each to their own. own. It's entirely up yeah. to them. Some of my very good friends smoke. Exactly. That's not a problem. Exactly. I don't mind. Like my best but friends. It smoke, wasn't so. something that I was. Yeah, it just wasn't something I was comfortable with in a yeah, relationship. And that was my boundary there. And that was something that I did say to him: if you want to date me, then that is going to be a behavior that will have to change. But it was very much an option of only if you want to date me. Oh, I love that you how you communicated that. So mature. <laughs> it is, it is, because, you well, know, sometimes like, someone someone could say instead, like, oh, it's so disgusting, uh, blah, blah, they would kind of word it in a not, in, in a not nice way. So the fact that you word it that yeah, way, I'm... it's quite nice, actually. You're not forcing him, you're not pressuring him, he doesn't feel pressured, you don't feel like you're changing him. You're just saying, I don't really like this, but if you want, you know, if you want to date me, then just know that I don't really like that, and I wouldn't want to date someone who does Exactly. And my my issue with it was... You know, it's obviously not good for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm quite unhealthy sometimes in myself with just how I am genetically. That is something I do think about. And ultimately, in a long-term relationship, which is what I was looking for, I didn't just want to date someone for fun. That wouldn't have been compatible. And that was just something that I knew from the offset, which is a boundary for me. Like for Jack, I know he has his boundaries. And I'm sure there are probably some things that if I had done, we wouldn't be dating now. Um, I mean, a good example Jack really, <laughs> because I'm slightly clumsy, and I think everyone who knows me knows I'm somewhat clumsy. I don't necessarily look after myself the best way that I should. Yeah. And a good example of that is I will sometimes take unnecessary risks, which could lead to me potentially breaking a bone because I do have slightly fragile bones. Jack did put a line down there of, can you please stop that? Because it is really worrying me. And I actually understood that because I didn't really realize that it would be viewed that way by someone else because it was about me and my body. And the only thing that Jack was worried about was if you do this in France, which is where his parents live, we're three hours away from the nearest A&E. So if I broke a bone, I'd be in pain for quite a long time before I actually got, got it treated. So it wasn't an issue so much of me hurting myself. It was more of an issue of he didn't want me to then be in a bad position. So he communicated that that made him nervous. I didn't realize that. How one last thing I kind of wanted to explore, um, if it's okay with you, uh, because I've obviously discussed this with you before. And for anyone that's kind of, I'm not blindsiding Georgie. I've, I've discussed it with her beforehand. <laughs> when it comes to food, how do you navigate that now in your relationship? I mean, I think that it's such a kind of, it's a difficult one, obviously knowing firsthand. It's a very difficult area to navigate and to kind of even getting help is really difficult as well. Um, and also recognizing that you have a problem as well. So how do you, how does your relationship kind of come into that as well? I mean, the other day is about you. It's not about your relationship, but I feel like since we're talking about kind of poor relationships and how relationships have affected you well, not so well. Um, and you mentioned food. I feel like that's something that we can discuss also on its own in another, on, another time, but, in terms of Jack now, how do you navigate that as an individual in your relationship? So when I met Jack, I was a lot smaller than I am now. Um, I was borderline back to where I was when I was in school. And Veronica, I think you probably remember, I, I looked a bit different to how I do now. And part of that was the fact that I had been made to feel that I wasn't enough. And that's not to say that I was told that I didn't look a certain way, but that was the result of how I then felt. However, now in these days, 
I feel comfortable with the person that I'm with. And I know that he's with me not for how I look. I, it's the least of the priority pile. Jack has seen me with those lovely little dot for spot things on my face going to bed at night. Yeah. Um, he's seen me hungover. He has seen me literally waist deep in a lock. Yeah. Um, he's seen me in a bikini to a ball gown. It, it's the comfort. Yeah. And I think part of the thing that I have with Jack is both of us have fluctuated weight-wise since we've been together. And I don't think he's even noticed, to be completely honest with you. I genuinely don't think he's even noticed. I don't noticed. think, uh, we, <laughs> you know, we as women, we think that <laughs> men notice these things. I'm not even joking. I realise that they actually don't. They really, really no, don't. I fundamentally do not think he's noticed. I think I put on about two stone, and I don't think he even knows. Yeah. <laughs> I. But at the same time, I am actually quite okay with that. And I'm okay with that because my body and how my body looks is not the purpose of my body. Right. Its appearance is actually not what it's there and for. How do you think you came it's to there that? to help me. I came to that because I realised there were more important things in life. What was um, the catalyst? It sounds crude to say. Though. The catalyst for that was when probably my period stopped. Okay, okay. And that was enough for me to go, wait a minute, that's that's not good. And I was getting really tired when I was trying to do my work. I wasn't able to focus in the same way. My grades, whilst they didn't slip, I was struggling to obtain them more. Because Veronica, you know me, I'm, I'm quite last minute with quite a few things. Um, if there's a deadline, I'll oh, get yeah. it done. But obviously, because I have a lot of other commitments on, it does mean that once in a while, things slip until the last minute. I didn't really have that opportunity when I was in a particularly bad position with food. Because I was always so tired. I couldn't feel like I could oh, focus. I, I would. It was really, I was struggling to actually meet what I could normally quite easily yeah, eat. I know. And that to me was far too far. I didn't, I realized that my appearance was not more important than what I was able to do. Yeah. And in my job, I help people. I help people either through various trials. I help stray animals. I help people in pro bono sort of representation I was representing a child who was on a stabbing charge with his school and that was obviously an unfair charge and we were able to progress that and have him removed from that which meant he didn't get a criminal record ah. so things like that meant that really my relationship with food became something that was a necessity yeah I couldn't not eat I couldn't continue to punish my body in that way and then be expecting to achieve that's the thing you can't expect to really that's that's the key word achieve you cannot expect to punish yourself and then get something rewarding out of exactly. that precisely get to the good stuff uh not in that regard not in that case no and it was really starting to impact how i could help people and that was something that really bothered me because to be honest why is a bit of extra fat on my thigh more important than being able to actually achieve at work and Jack has been very good with that because he knows that sometimes I forget to eat okay. that's not an uncommon yeah. thing and if I'm working in the office all day because obviously we're all working from home at the moment he will just come upstairs with a bowl of food mm. and just give it to me so um, he won't tell me that he's cooking he'll just bring it up and there's no discussion about it which actually makes life a bit easier because I then don't have to think about it it's just there and one of the ways I've tried to embrace my body recently was I actually had a nude painted yes. by someone who was... You told me this, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, it's why so not? It's so empowering. That's my body. Embrace yeah. it. 
And I know a few other girls who have done the same and it's actually very helpful for them as well. I just, I personally think that my relationship with food changed when I realized that it was impacting what I could do. Okay. Okay. And my relationship with Jack has obviously been very helpful with that because I've never had a nitpicking comment like, oh, you know, you've put on a bit of weight or do you need to go to the gym? Which are obviously unacceptable comments in the first place, but they do happen. Yeah, I, I, I know someone who's been told that by their boyfriend. Yeah, they do happen. Um, but yeah, Jack would never say anything like that. But then again, if Jack said anything like that to me now, I'd probably turn around and say, look in the mirror right. or something equally as sassy right. because I would not accept that comment no. anymore. No, you worth. And I think that's the thing. I, I would have, previously I probably would have. But now, no, I wouldn't accept a yeah. comment like that. But Jack would never make one. No. Jack is probably more likely to say, would you like a slice no. of cake? Which, to be honest, yes. The answer is yes. Of course of I want course. a slice of cake. Who, who doesn't? doesn't? Who doesn't? Honestly. <laughs> Any woman who turns around and says, you know, no, I don't want that snack because I've not eaten all day, but I'm still not going to eat. is probably not being honest with well, themselves. Well, that was me. And it was me. And you know what? On top of all of that... Yes, I probably don't look how I used to. I'm probably slightly chubbier than I could be. But at the same time, I am happy. Exactly. Yes, I might not. The key thing. The key thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Jack doesn't mind. My dog doesn't mind. So I don't really see why it's an issue. Um, Yes, admittedly, once in a while, your pencil skirt can get a little bit tight, but your body weight just fluctuates yeah, in a that's month, a let thing. alone anything else. That's the thing. People don't realise that. People forget that your body fluctuates a lot over the course of your entire yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, I actually threw out my scales, which was one of the best things that's I could have done. I don't have a set of scales. I don't have a set of scales in my house unless it's for baking. Yes, yes. Small scales that you can't stand on. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the only thing that stands on those is my kitten because she's underweight and we like to make sure she's oh, putting on cutie. weight. That's it. What a cutie. Yeah, I complete, I'm completely with you. I'm completely with you. If you feel good about yourself and, you know, the clothes make you feel good, you have to – you don't wear – you don't fit clothes. The clothes fit you. Exactly. That's the way I, it should honestly, be. That's how I actually so design important. my clothes. You don't fit the clothes. The clothes fit you. That's why there's so much stretch in my clothes because it's supposed to kind I of mold to your body, you know, and it, it just – grinds my gears it creams my corn when I <laughs> everyone always laughs when I say that it's my saying it creams my corn when I, know, I, love it. I see stuff like that because people are like I need to lose weight to fit into that dress I'm like no 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 you're gonna look good in that dress no matter what pick your pick whatever size you are according to your measurements and just wear it don't lose any weight you don't need to exactly. lose the weight you will not be happy you will just force yourself to eat less and I guarantee it won't be happy. I see a lot of these fitness accounts and I know full well that so many of them, not all of them, I'm not going to generalize, but so many of them, they are pressured and they're not eating properly and they make out that they are and they're not. So I don't buy that. No, I don't not. buy that at all. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the fittest I've ever been. I am working out so much. I'm like, that's probably not a good thing. What are you trying to do? You are doing it to serve a purpose of Instagram. If you want to get fit, get fit on your own. I completely, I mean, to each your own, I guess. So you can do whatever you want, but I still see it. And I kind of, I kind of squirm a bit or kind of, you know, not cringe, but. It can make you a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I think a good example of it is 
I quite frankly don't have the time to go to the gym at the moment. Who and does? If I'm running, it's like if I'm running, it is because a judge has told me that a witness has shown up when they shouldn't be, and I don't want to be yelled at, so I'm going to run down the crown court. Yeah. That's enough for me because I walk my dog. I'm fit. I'm healthy. I'm not shredded by any standard. But at the same time, I don't need to be. And yes, some of my clothes probably won't fit me after lockdown. But you know what? That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. My body got me through a global pandemic. That, yeah, exactly. That attitude, you know, it, it's your body that kind of powers you up every day. It gets you going. It gets you to do things. It gets you to get work done. You, you know, you love with your body. You do things with your body. You, you know, you walk with your body. Like, do you see what I mean? You know, it's not just for looks. Exactly. It's not just to be gawked at. And, you know, if your body is craving something, it's craving it for exactly. a reason. Exactly. And that's something that I've definitely learned to realise. Like, I, rather disgustingly, in second year of university, I picked up a quite nasty parasite when I was on holiday. And it meant that I was quite unwell for a few years. And I finally worked out what that problem was. And now I realise that all that time when my body was basically being like, please give me something salty or I need sugar, it was there for a reason. And now I certainly listen to that. And if that means a few pounds here and there, then that's what that exactly. means. Exactly, exactly. It, it's just, it. nothing frustrates me more than this topic because I've, obviously I've dealt with it. So kind of, um, what's the right word to yeah. kind of describe it? It's. I can't even think of the right yeah, word. I mean, I think a good way of exemplifying it is when you met me, Veronica, I it was a long time ago and I definitely don't look that way anymore but looking back on it I've seen photos of both of us and neither of us look healthy I know we both look tired I, I just remember we went out summer of 2019 and we went for food and you and Jack just yeah. stared at me as I ate and you were like you have barely eaten and I was like oh no it's fine I eat when I get home we went out that night so I didn't actually get to eat anything and then yeah, exactly. And what I did instead was I just drunk like four G&Ts and that was it. And I called it a day. And the, looking back on it, I just thought, yeah. why? I didn't eat for three days before my graduation. I didn't have anything but water. And I look back on those yeah, photos see, and I don't I... see happiness. I just see someone who was going through something really difficult. Um, exactly. They were. And I know. think that's the thing. I, well, you know how much I was talking to you before graduation telling you not to. Yeah. I was like, please have, have something, you need it. But I was lucky in the sense of, I think probably about six months before graduation, I'd kind of got to the position that I'm in now, where I was relatively just settled. My body is not there for looks. And on my graduation day, I had literally got back from Croatia with a friend of mine a day beforehand, went straight to the airport, went home, um, went up to York, got changed and off I went. Yeah. And that day I ended up having brunch, lunch, dinner, and post-dinner. And, you know, all of my photos, yeah, I could probably have looked a bit better, but I look happy. That's the thing. That's the thing. And when you, when we and say, you know, better, what do we mean by better? Does better mean, you know, exactly. what does that supposed to mean? You know, I'm not, you know, I... I want everyone to just embrace their bodies, no matter how, what you look like. If you're really, really thin... And skinny and you're just naturally that way or you worked hard to be that way you know and you did it in a healthy way fine if you are naturally quite curvy you know no matter what you are just I'm so sick of this whole thing where you can't embrace it and you're being forced to kind of do something about it and change it 
you know I'm really tired I, of it. I am really 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 tired of it and I'm sick of seeing it you know um I got a lot of messages talking about how I used um a variety of body types in my first shoot which you know um is obviously nice to hear um I think it's important but, you know there were there were a few comments being like you know I don't really think you you know used um use the right sort of models uh who are you the model mm-hmm. police who are you uh i'm gonna do it my way i'm gonna do it the way i like it and this is the real this is this is how bodies look and they're all beautiful exactly and i honestly i thought all their bodies are beautiful i i don't know why or how yeah they were all stunning like to me um we don't skinny shame we don't fat shame is it fat shame fat shaming we don't yes we don't do that and we we sh- but I don't even know who's doing it. Is it the women? Is it the men? I don't know who's doing it because I see so women I doing it too. Think so I think I've probably actually felt more pressure from women. I have women. too. Yeah, I have too. But the thing that I would say that I've definitely discovered and found quite interesting is that regardless of what you do, someone's going to have something to say. 100%. So why listen? And at the same time, the female form is is incredible. It's something that, you know, Literally, if you want to have children, it creates life. If you don't want to have children, fantastic. That's not what female form is yeah. for. But at the same time, if you have a look at a woman's body, the chances are that we're actually able to deal with pain better than men. Um, we can survive longer without food than men if we need to. It's a very strong body. So don't punish it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, same yeah, I'm so tired of putting my body through through kind of hell to get it to where and the thing is is that I we've obviously both suffered with some body dysmorphia and I can't imagine how difficult it must be for people who you know maybe are transitioning exactly that must be so much harder so being in that position and still being faced with the judgment of then more people yeah it should not be that way even then people are saying that their body must look a certain way it's your body. Yeah. It should be how you want it to be. Well, I wouldn't let myself go out. I mean, I was at uni and I remember I used to say no to so many things because I was like, no, I've gained weight. I can't go out. I, I, I can't do it. I can't go out. I missed events. I missed one of the uh, society balls for that reason. Yeah. I think I missed it twice. Um, I missed it for that reason because I was like, no, I can't go. I've gained weight. I can't. I can't. I can't even. But to be fair, I was unhealthy on two sides of the scale. So, and you know, so when I look at the photos, I don't see, I don't think of it as as a happy day that night that I actually did go. Um, The second annual ball, I was really unhealthy back then on the other side of the scale. So I either went down one scale, one end of the scale, or I went up the other end of the scale, both extremely unhealthy, both a cycle. And, um, you know, it was, I don't look back on those photos and go, okay, that was a really fun night. I look back on it and go, God, all I see is unhealthy. And that's not necessarily being me overweight or being me curvy, whatever it might be. It was what I was doing, which was, yeah, you exactly. know, um, did we talk about I it? Think- I don't know. If, I've never talked about it aloud. So, uh, especially publicly. So this is weird for me, but I feel like we've kind of got onto that now, but, um, I don't know. I'm just, it's weird for me. It's really, really strange for me to be talking about it, but I can't, I can't be, I can't do EMVT without being open about it. And I can't talk about t- discussing mental health when I, d- when I hold myself back. 
So I can't have you talking loads about it and then me going, mm, yeah, yeah, mm, yeah, great, you know. So, Definitely. but I you know it's what you're exactly. But with. I mean, a year ago, I never would have wouldn't have been able to have this conversation without crying. So it's it's a very tough kind of conversation to have. Um, I I don't know. It's just it's it's very hard to navigate. It's been very hard to navigate, and I'm glad that you and I are doing much better now. But sometimes I will kind of find little triggers. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's the thing. I I wouldn't say that I'm always lying. Yeah, me too. Of course I'm not. But that's what you get recovery. You're not recovered, and that's why it's called recovery. And you have to be okay with the fact that once in a while you might slip. But again, don't punish yourself for slipping. It does happen. Like right before we had this call, actually, I was just having a really bad day. A lot of things had happened today that were just quite difficult. I had a government minister in Zanti call me saying that he was banning stray dogs from moving. At the same time, someone that I'm doing a moot with has suddenly had to go to hospital and it was just a rough day. So I called Jack. I said, look, I'm just not okay right now. And we were able to just sit down and work out the best and most effective way forward. And being able to admit that sometimes you're not okay even when you feel like you have largely recovered and moved on, is absolutely fine. So there's no shame in that either. And Jack actually said, thank you for telling me and for feeling that you can. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And the fact that you're even starting to talk about it, Veronica, is a massive step forward from where you are. And I couldn't be more proud of you. My eyes are watering. I just, uh, yeah. It's, um, that's kind of why I wanted to, have you on here because I don't it's weird I think you're the one one of two or three people that I could actually talk about this with and I felt like there was a time where it was supposed to you know it was a long time coming where I would have to talk about this and I knew and I was dreading it to be honest um and I'd written about it so many times and I'd published it and deleted it immediately uh on the website and I was like no no I can't have this I can't have it out there but kind of talking to you about it makes me feel like you know I'm not I always felt like I would be looked down on for for it. And um, I always, you know, it was weird because, like, before, it gave me so much anxiety and people would, you know, I would get happy when plans were cancelled. I would get really – I would I would low-key love it when when plans got cancelled because I thought, okay, I'll have to, I don't have to go out now. I don't have to go out and kind of um, – this was obviously back in second and third, second and third year of uni. And actually by third year, it was actually much better. But um, I'd say only end of third year got better. I think beginning of third year, horrible. And second year, not good at all. Um, but I didn't feel, I I placed myself in a box and convinced myself that there was no one to talk to about it, whereas you had Jack. I convinced myself that there was no one to talk to about it and that no one would understand. And the people that I did reach out to, no, they didn't understand. And... It was really, really difficult. So when I finally reached out, I, I, I said, I'm dealing with this. And they kind of thought, you know, you know, you're fine. You don't really have a problem. Someone actually, two people have told me I don't have a problem. Two people. Uh, or I didn't have a problem back then. Wow. And there were times where I would just be lying on the floor in pain, um, like clutching my stomach on the floor in my uni room. And no one knew about it. And I'd just be crying. And the rooms were soundproof because I lived in a flat. And the rooms were soundproof. And I would just be crying because 
I had no like I had no help and I felt sick for reasons I can't really discuss today but um I'm so kind of I'm so happy that it sounds kind of cringe no it doesn't you know what no it doesn't I'm so happy that I have started this and done it with you as well of all people because um Spill the MBT is such a important, for the reasons like this, it's such an important thing to do. And to have you shows to everyone else listening that it is really important to reach out. Because if I hadn't had you, I probably wouldn't have done it. And I probably wouldn't have become more open talking about it. And I think in a way we've helped each other, maybe not in the same way, maybe we haven't, maybe we in different ways, have. but we've still helped each other. And I feel... We definitely have. I feel so much more comfortable talking about it. I feel like I can finally be like, you know what, this has happened. I'm doing better. Um, it's not an easy process. It's not an easy kind of road of recovery. Um, but I'm doing much better and I have bad days. I had about, a, a, there was about a month ago where I just completely went off the road and I was like, I can't do this. I can't deal with anyone. I can't deal with myself. I'm going to punish myself. This is what I'm going to do. And it didn't, it didn't go well and it really, really made things worse. So for anyone listening, um, reach out. I know I always say this, but reach out. It makes such a difference. The fact that I've reached out to maybe two people, Georgia being one of them, it made such a huge difference. And the fact that I'm now talking about it so publicly, I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't in a better place. That's kind of the biggest thing is that I, the reason why I haven't been able to talk about it thus far is because I've not been able to because I knew I wasn't in a position to be able to I didn't want to lie and say oh well you know that was in the past now I'm fine every day is is every day is different obviously it's an upward trend that you want to be focusing on and that is it for me but I wasn't in that place before so I wasn't able to talk about it before so now that I am I'm like you know what this has happened um this is my past it's in the past for a reason and like Georgie it's every day is different every day is unpredictable but as long as it's an upward trend that's what's to, that's what you need to focus on and you need to focus on kind of what you can do and know what you can't do and a lot of people are going to say to you oh you can't do that you can't do this oh you need to change this you need to change that not just about body types but about so many different things about your career you know georgia you've been told that many times um in relationships you kind of get told you might get gaslit or you get told things you know like you can't do that or you're you know we can't just just different things it's really easy to internalize that kind of have it stay with you for a really long time but the person I am now and I look back at the person I was during my graduation or kind of in that period I'm not even the same person and I don't think I am at all I'm so much I'm a much better friend I have a completely different kind of career goal in mind I'm really fulfilling what I want to do in my life I have a much better relationship with food much much better much relationship with my body I mean, I'm actually much healthier in general as well uh, as a result of that. Um, I, you know, I'm very much happy being on my own. I never think to myself, I want a boyfriend. I want this. I've never thought to myself before, even when I was in a relationship, even when I was dating. Um, it's really important to be happy with you, whether in a relationship, whether you're not in a relationship. It's really important to be happy with you. So that's just kind of how I want to kind of close it. So, and then... Um, to kind of um, tie the ribbon together, I wanted to tell everyone about what Georgie does because you talked about it briefly throughout the podcast um, because obviously Georgie does a million things. She's a superwoman, but she also runs an adoption charitable group called Greek Stray International. So we, I'm a huge supporter of it. I will post about it a lot on 
my well, my personal page or my brand page. So you'll see a lot of that kind of coming through. But um, she does amazing things. Uh, George, do you want to briefly kind of tell us about Greek Story International and then we can wrap it up there. But I really, really want to kind of push for this because it's such an amazing thing that you're doing. Well, thank you, Veronica. Um, I basically started up because I found my cat on a Greek beach in 2019. And I knew if I didn't take him home, he wouldn't be there in 2020. And I know a lot of people have found that when they've gone to Greece. They've seen stray animals that they really want to help. And in the UK, we have very stringent adoption laws, which mean that if you work full time, or you plan on having a family, or potentially you have another pet, or if there's some sort of disability that you might have, then you can't adopt. Uh, You can only buy a puppy, which I don't think is right. Because some dogs are a great fit for potential disabilities or your family life, that sort of thing. So that was why I set up this group. And I've definitely found that having pets has actually been hugely beneficial to my mental health. (laughs) They've basically become support animals and I couldn't be more grateful to have them in my life. But what we have found is that we've, we've tackled a lot of different political issues from Brexit to Greek government refusing to give documents that's needed. And we've had a great network of support that's been built up. We have chats with our adopters. We have their own little groups that they have where they support each other through the process. But it's gone beyond that. And they'll talk about their own life experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's become a very supportive community. And that's something that I think is really important for what we do. That's what I've noticed a lot is that everyone is so, it's built up such a community there. And I I was really quite, um, I was really quite happy to see that. I didn't expect that at all. But to be honest, I don't know what I was expecting. But um, it's so nice that you've built up this community. It's lovely. I mean, some of our adopters are actually planning a group walk in Yorkshire when they're allowed to, when COVID restrictions are lifted. Um, Other ones of the group are actually now friends of mine and volunteer for us. So it's been a very lovely, supportive community that we've built. And we are actually, you know, saving lives of the animals who are out there. Because, for example, my dog, when she was found, she had been poisoned and she had two broken legs. She, She wouldn't have survived out in Greece. But now she's an adorable collie mixed with a Greek shepherd type thing and she has a great life in London with me and the process is not too kind of difficult for anyone listening the process isn't easy um that's predominantly because the documentation that's required is currently being restricted by the Greek government and it's why I'm often in meetings with various ministers but because I luckily have some grasp with the language it does make life a lot easier so we were actually the only group that was able to get dogs across in late December because every other group had suddenly been blocked by coronavirus Brexit and these problems with the government ministries. But the process itself, largely not too bad. We normally just ask that people pay the adoption um, cost in the sense of transport. We don't actually ask for adoption fees. Ah, okay. And we run the entire thing for them. Yeah. So we also offer financial assistance if needed. Brilliant. So, yeah, we run the whole process. Um, we just like to make sure that everyone who does adopt from us is someone that's actually had the chance to meet the dog yeah. as much as they can. Yeah. So that can be via Zoom and that's two or three weeks of conversation with the people who have Oh, them, that's so cute. Which is a lot longer than a lot of other groups. Oh, really? That's quite good. That's quite good. Most of the time when I was looking at adopting, <laughs> most of the time when I was adopting and looking at adopting, I was told, right, here's the details of the dog. Do you want the dog or not? Yes or no? Oh. <laughs> I asked for more photos and they sent me two. I asked them to cat check and they said no. So... That's certainly Weird. not the attitude that we've got. No, definitely not. And that's what makes you guys so successful already. You guys have grown so much in the space of how many months has it been now? 
Uh, we started in late October exactly. and we've now had about 15 dogs come across with cats too. We do cats yeah. as well. Um, and then we've got 17 waiting to leave this month. Amazing. Amazing. And you are working to, so it's a charitable group. So you are working to kind of establish as a charity. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah, we're, we're actually in the process of registering with HMRC at the moment. It's so exciting. Only upwards from here. And I'm just, I'm so proud of you for so many different reasons. You tackle so many different things and you can take everything in your stride and you're like, yes, I'm going to get it done. Um, and oh, I just, you, you mean a lot to me. Well, I hope you know that. I'm incredibly proud of you too. And I hope you know that as well. I love you We're like, now this has become, this has love become more too. of a phone call than a, than a podcast. Everyone's like, <laughs> okay, guys, get a room. Um, okay. <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure having you, Georgie. Honestly, this has been such an amazing kind of return to the podcast in so many different ways. I think it's been kind of the most, actually the most open I've been on the podcast so far. So thank you so much and thank you so much for sharing kind of your personal experiences your all your experiences kind of what you've been through and how it's kind of shaped you as a person and it's been so amazing and I hope to have you again I'd love to and thank you so much for having me all right guys we're gonna say bye for now and we will see you very soon bye Georgie do you want to say bye bye bye